Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and pray that you are having an amazing day today. But why is it so hard for men to surrender to the Lord? What are the reasons that make it so difficult for us men to have an intimate relationship with God? But what happens when a man does have a conversion? And what does that process look like? Joining me on the show today to tackle those questions is Joe Barnard, director of Cross Training Ministries in Covington, Louisiana. And Joe is also the author of the book, The Way Forward, which is written to help men grow up in their spiritual journey. In today's episode, we talk about the power of men being open about their vulnerability and relationship with the Lord. In particular, we look at a few male celebrities who have recently gone public about their conversions. Here's a look at you, Kanye West and Justin Bieber. We examine the process of finding clarity in God's call in your life, how to manage distractions that are so ever-present, the importance of spiritual friendship and really having a fellowship with other men, and why doing these things will help men achieve spiritual maturity. After the show is done, please find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I look forward to hearing your thoughts or questions that you have about this show or other episodes of the Always So Podcast. All right, let's get into this conversation with Joe Barnard. Well, Joe Barnard, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing? Doing great. It's a privilege to be here. Oh, thanks, man. That's a great gift. Beautiful day today. Grateful for uh, for the sun shining and the fact that Jesus loves me and so does my wife. I mean, that's that's <laughs> at the end of the day all, all I need. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, introduce yourself to the audience. What what do you do, man? So I've got a uh, men's discipleship ministry, uh, cross-training ministries. I've been a pastor uh, overseas in Scotland. I uh, did that for about 10 years, but came back home to my native uh, home, uh, Covington, Louisiana. And right now, again, I'm the director of this program. Fantastic. So what like inspired you to start cross train ministry and also to write the book, The Way Forward? You know, I think both uh, personally and as a pastor, I- I've just seen the need, the extra need that men have for help, sure. for spiritual development. I think for whatever reason, and we could talk about them, but but women seem to do much better on their own. They gather together, they form friendships, uh, they do outreach and find ways to serve the community, whereas guys can be isolated, uh, get stuck, and really not know how to uh, thrive within this kind of bizarre modern world. So that need for guys to, to get help uh, to grow up, that's what's kind of stirred me into this. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, I love the book. I love the the approach that you take. It's kind of a good balance between uh, romanticism and pragmatism. I think you find a good a good middle there. Uh, I'm a big fan of Eldridge and, and his work. I, and we before moving to New Orleans, I lived in Tallahassee, and we did his Wild at Heart retreats. We mm. did a, a version of that in Tallahassee with a group called Return to Glory, and we just did him there in the Panhandle. It was awesome, and we do him like twice a year. We get guys from all over the state, and it was just such a, a blessed experience. And so I too share a similar kind of desire, you know, for for men's ministries. I raise well, I'm raising, I think, hopefully I'm doing a good job with my four boys. So <laughs> kind of outreach to men, men's spirituality is something that, that, that certainly is important to me. Um, I helped out to some degree with the archdiocese. They, j- they just had this massive men's conference, which was awesome. You know, over a thousand men came and it was the first time we'd done this large scale conference. Um, so I think where I want to start our conversation is really kind of conversion is the word that's coming to mind. It, it, I, when I reached out to you via email, I sent in the email, you know, that, that I was really 
I've been really struck by these recent kind of high profile celebrities, men, particularly these who have had these conversions and, and these experiences where they're coming back to the Lord and in professing the love of Jesus. And Justin Bieber, uh, Kanye West, and even Chris Pratt from a couple of years ago. I mean, these guys are A-listers in in their, you know, fields. Chris Pratt with all the Marvel movies, you know, Kanye West is huge in the rap music. And, you know, Justin Bieber, of course, as like one of the largest pop stars like of all time, you know. And Bieber, I, I don't know if you got to ever go watch this. He did this interview for Apple Music where he talked about his like like why is it he like accepted the love of the Lord? And he said, you know, I just I realized I was in a low place and I was having sex with women and and, and had everything in my in my disposal, all the money, drugs, everything I could want. And even in the midst of all that, I felt very empty. And even Kanye, I think, talks about, you know, a similar type of experience that like you, you get to this point, even when you have everything, that you still recognize this this profound emptiness that's there and and really i've been struck by just how um amazing it is for these guys to be as vulnerable as they've been with their faith journey especially in an industry that seems to be so opposed to, to discussions of faith um but when an individual like that has a conversion or has this this high profile kind of um experience to, to come back to the lord i mean the impact of that is is in my estimation, I think it's, 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 I don't know, it's just massive. I mean, Justin Bieber has like 90 million followers on YouTube or something ridiculous. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know what, what, what are you just, I'm just talking. What, what are your thoughts as you see these guys kind of have these conversions? What, 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 what do you think about it? Yeah. You know, I think it reminds us of the, the scandal of grace and, you know, you go back to the, the, uh, famous parable Jesus told about the prodigal son and the way in which the, the elder brother's upset when he comes back. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's that sense of, hey, wait, this, this isn't fair. And it's interesting to watch people's reaction because, you know, you look at the life of these men and you think if, you know, they can't be Christians, right? I mean, we know what they've done. Mm-hmm. It's been in the tabloids. Mm-hmm. And yet it reminds everybody of the fact that, no, I mean, Jesus came to heal the, the sick. Um, mm-hmm. They're the ones that know they need the physician. So, you know, I think one of the things that is highlighted is, uh, that this is this is the message of the gospel that it it seeks and saves those that are lost and those that know they're lost and so for the world to get to hear that message and see examples, uh, I think that is a it's a gift of God. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, Jesus is very clear. Right? He he goes leaves the ninety nine for for the one. You know, all of him rejoices over one sinner than you know, for those who are saved. I mean, like it's it's and so when we see this, yeah, we have to be cautious maybe not to exalt them too much, right? There's a recognition that even as you listen to Kanye's music or Justin Bieber's music kind of post this, this, these conversion experiences that like, yeah, you know, they're still new to their faith. I mean, that's what I walked away listening to both those albums. I'm like, these are guys who are writing songs uh, that they just encountered Jesus. So we're not expecting them and we're not sure we expect them to be these profound, deep theologians as if they, they've already achieved maturity in the Christian journey. No, no, no. They're individuals. They're men who are just starting their journey towards the Lord. But the gift in them doing it specifically as these high profile celebrities is that they force the world to have to think about Jesus in a way that I think even if a Rick Warren as popular as he is, or even the Pope as popular obviously as the Pope is, people are kind of come to expect this. Well, of course the Pope's going to talk about Jesus. Of course, Rick Warren, of course, Joel Olstein are going to talk about, you know, how good God is. But when Kanye West comes out and says it, this guy was in the hospital. You know what I mean? Justin Bieber says it. What right. the heck, man? It's like cognitive dissonance. It forces you to have to think differently about kind of some of these boxes that that we are so quick to put things in. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- you know, I think the the difficulty and the danger is 
you know, Paul talks about the, the danger of putting a, a, a new convert in a position of leadership, lest mm. they be, you know, puffed mm. up and mm. become proud and succumb to the, the temptation of the devil. And I think, you know, you feel for these guys because they're already leaders in the sense that they stand apart and people are looking up to them for better or worse. And so immediately they're thrown into this situation, like you said, where, you know, they're being scrutinized. And um, so I think it's, it's one of these things where, yeah, we have to watch how we view celebrities that, uh, that we allow them, like you said, to, to recognize these are young Christians. Mm-hmm. And so they're not necessarily our models for maturity. <laughs> no, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and we just pray that, you know, God will grow them up so that they can really use and leverage these roles for him. Uh, but we shouldn't be surprised, like you said, if, if some of what they say sounds still fairly immature. Yeah, yeah. We still don't know how, where the seed has fallen. That's I mean, right. We know that the seed can right. get choked up, you know, and, I, and not that I want that. Of course, you want the, no. to for their own salvation, for anybody, not just because they're popular, but 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 for anybody. Um, but I think what what for me in, in the context of us talking about masculinity is that the, the narrative of recognizing our um, uh Deficiency, I think is the right word here, our awareness of recognizing our limitation and then calling out for salvation in response to that awareness is a message that it just really runs countercultural to what the modern message is for mm. men. Yeah. I think for men, we, we, we hear, and not just here, but we adopt and we believe that we have to be everything, that we have to do it all. And women feel this too. I get it. You know, especially now as cultural norms are completely obliterated. What are the expectations of anybody? I have no idea. How's a man supposed to act? Who knows? How's a woman supposed to act? It doesn't matter. Every Everything's on the table. So at any given moment, you feel like you have to do everything. And if you're not doing everything, you feel like you're failing. But but back to the John Eldridge message, you know, I think that's really what he put his finger on was this notion that the central question of a man's heart is, is do I have what it takes? And so we're haunted by this, this sense of fear. Renee Brown, I'm not sure if you read any yeah. of her work. She she really touches her finger on this also in a secular sense that like shame is really triggered for men in failure and weakness. And so to see positive models of that, um, I find it very encouraging for for men, um, young and old. And I think this is you know, we need to remember is that this is fundamental in terms of our spiritual formation. You know, Jesus, he begins his great sermon saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. And uh yeah, as men, we're so reluctant to admit that we don't have what it takes to hold up our lives. And yet maturity is not really going to begin until we own that fact. Mm. And so, you know, we, we kind of hold out as long as we can in self-denial until finally, I mean, God, he finds a way to break us. I mean, he does. He loves us enough to break <laughs> our pride. But it's easier if you can see that, hey, look, this is a process and that it's not because the world's caving in around me, but actually this is a sign of maturity that I can own. My limitations, not just limitations, but my, my desperation that mm. I need God's help. And mm. without his help, I can do nothing. Mm. Amen. Yeah, that's what makes the, the 12-step program so so amazing. You're, you've been around guys from AA circles or yeah. NA circles or even SA circles. I mean, they, they just they approach life with like a radical honesty. You know, yeah. They just know that they like any thought, any temptation that leads them back towards their vice, like they have to just grab it, you know, by and, and, and deal with it immediately because they just recognize so uh, transparently, honestly, so so honestly that 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 they are uh, broken, you know, and that they need the Lord, and that that I, I'm inspired by that at times. Yeah, yeah. And anybody who has a degree of self knowledge and knows their own heart knows that we're all in that situation. You know mm-hmm. that that we're all uh, we need we need God's grace constantly, mm-hmm. and so the sooner we'll own that and surround ourselves with people that remind us of that truth. 
better off we're going to be as guys. Yeah. Amen. All right. So in the book, uh, The Way Forward, um, you talk about kind of the, the problem here with masculinity. Uh, what do you think is is preventing men? It can just start broadly preventing men from really kind of embracing uh, the Lord and, and, and recognizing again that that even though we're called to greatness and called to strength, that we do need to start with a position of humility and, and poverty before Jesus. Yeah, you know, I think one of the areas I've grown as a, as a man, as someone who works with other men, is for a long time I, I just gave a simplistic diagnosis. I was one of those guys uh, from from the front of the church saying, you know, just just get after it. Mm. You know, why are you lazy? You know, just you know, just come to church, just do a little bit more. And you know, I think the more I work with guys, the more I see it's a complex problem. Um, this is a a toxic environment if if the objective of our lives is spiritual maturity or growth. And so, you know, you look at the world and, you know, you see a world where relationships are increasingly fragmented. So, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about social, you know, media, et cetera. But the truth is our lives are less social and less deep in terms of relational capital than probably they've ever been before. You know, you've got just the distraction, you know, the, the endless notification. And even right now with the virus, you know, everybody's attention is turned to, to things that don't remind them of who God is, <laughs> what Jesus has done for us, but to whatever the circumstances are, you know, um, around us. Um, you know, you've got, uh, just the complexities of, of what you spoke a moment ago about the, just the modern workload. Mm. You know, if you're a guy who's, you know, trying to keep your marriage afloat, you're trying to keep your kids happy and involved in activities, you know, you're still trying to get to church and do some of the church activities too. And you pile it all together and it's just as a weight load you can't carry. So, you know, I look at guys now and there's a really touching moment in the gospel where Jesus, he looks at the crowd and has compassion Mm. and he says, you know, they're scattered and weary. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And I think that's where guys are. Um, you know, they're, they're scattered. They're, they're isolated from relationships with one another. They're worn down. And they don't have the, the leadership in the sense they don't have a guide often to say, hey, look, here's the way forward. So mm-hmm. here's some steps you can take. Here's some ingredients you need to see in your life if you want that inner strength that uh, hopefully at least Christian men are looking for. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to kind of, let's, let's tackle a couple of those. All right. So the first one I want to tackle is exhaustion because you talk about it in the book and you kind of already are alluding to it right there, just a sense of men just being worn down by, by the world and the various responsibilities that we have, um, which I think we can all agree with. I think we can all maybe recognize that work demands, family demands are, are just vastly different than, than what they were before. Uh, there's so much vying for our time and in our attention, and we're constantly having to kind of put our guards up and making sure that we're staying focused on what we're supposed to do, but we just feel worn out. But I'm going to take it even a step further. And this is the question I want to ask you is that even, even more than just the worldly demands, quite honestly, I counsel individuals in my practice who are good, God-fearing individuals. They love the Lord. They're, they're trying their best to understand what God's will is for their life. They're discerning well, but man, you know, some people just and just some people just get clobbered by by life and they struggle with the notion of like well i'm doing this job because god called me to or i'm dating this person because i felt god called me why isn't he making it easy on me you know yeah. and 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 i can resonate with that you know in my own experience sometimes i have to be if, if i'm being perfectly honest the scripture passage that i probably struggle with the most and honestly believing is when jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know <That's> right. <laughs> I get the death and resurrection. I'm on board with that, man. You got me on that one, right? You love me. I got that one too. All right. But is it really easy? (laughs) You know, as in my experience, 
you know, uh, in, 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 and sometimes the burdens and, and maybe again, it's my own immaturity or whatever. I don't want to be judgmental myself, harsh or other people, but, but sometimes it's like, man, I just feel like, like God, like sometimes what you ask of me is, is pretty darn severe. And I'm not sure if I always know how to respond to that. Yeah. You know, and I think part of the key of what Jesus says there is, is his yoke is light. And I think the difficulty is in this, in this modern setting is, you know, we're pulling several different yokes at once. And so, you know, simplicity is something you don't find many people who, if you ask them to describe their life, they'd say, well, you know, it, it's simple. <laughs> it's really complex. And, uh, and that's where I think, you know, if you're inhabiting kind of a American middle-class sort of society, you've got, you know, all of these expectations, not just to provide for your family. That's one thing, but you're also supposed to succeed in your profession, which is a whole nother tier of, uh, achievement. You know, you're not supposed to just make sure your kids are, are healthy and fed and clothed, you know, you got to set them up to get into some sort of prestigious like university, whether they go there or not. That's the mindset. Um, you know, you're not just trying to keep, you know, your, your blood pressure down. You know, you're supposed to join CrossFit and be, you know, look like you're an action figure in a Marvel movie. And, you know, there's this just pressure after pressure. And so it's hard in the midst of that to hear Jesus saying, you know, he, he's got this statement, if you remember the story with Mary and Martha, where he says, mm-hmm. you know, one thing is needed. That's right. And it sounds impossible. It's like, no, no, no. Maybe back then. There's no way in the 21st century that one thing is needed. And yet, yeah. no, the truth is what we've got to rediscover is what is that one thing? Like, wh- what is he actually asking of us? And then what are these other things that they may not be bad, but sometimes for the best, you got to sacrifice some things that are good. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's a tough passage, you know, because he, he scolds Martha. You know? <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like, right. She's the one who did all the work, man. You know, <laughs> no. like, come on, dude. She's the one who's set the table, did everything, and Mary's just hanging out. Yeah. And he's like, but this is what I want, you know? Yeah. And I think you're right on it. I think sometimes we put all these expectations about, well, God wants this from me. Are you sure? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, are you really sure that he wants you to do all those different things? Um, because it, it really is a, is a tricky endeavor. Um, I think even Mother Teresa said something to the effect that like one of the tactics of the devil is, is to this is distraction mm. and prevent us from the like the, recognizing the one great thing that God's calling us to with a bunch of good things. Mm-hmm. And that we can just e- so easily find ourselves in the midst of accomplishing good things, but never actually setting ourselves our trajectory straight on the, like the one real thing yeah. that God is asking us to do. Yeah. What type of advice or guidance or, or, or thoughts do you have, you know, towards, towards that? You know, I was with a group of guys this morning and we were thinking about, so at the very end of Jesus's, uh, before he goes to the cross, he has this, his high priestly prayer. And he says that he has, you know, glorified his father, that he's finished the work he was given to do. Hmm. And, you know, the thought that so resonate with me lately is that Jesus didn't do everything. <laughs> That's true. You know, yes, that's true. He, he didn't write books. No, he didn't. Uh, he didn't travel the world. Right. Um, he didn't have a bucket list that he was constantly taking things off. But he did what the Father had asked of him. And the thing is, he knew, first of all, he had a clear sense of calling. And then he was faithful in that calling. And while, you know, we're not going to be as faithful as Jesus, those are two things I think guys should really strive for is one, clarity of calling. Uh, because it's, if you don't have that clarity, you don't know what you can say no to. Mm. So trying to wrestle with, okay, you know, again, who, who has God made me? What are the things that he wants of me? And then to try to really be faithful to those things. And then you can add more, you know, if you succeed in those, but until you're being faithful in the fundamental things to not do a lot of extra. And, 
you know, there's there's a lot of thought, and we could talk about the, the process of distilling that kind of vision, but I think if you grab your typical Christian guy and say, hey, look, describe your, your calling, you know, I think their, their mind would be scattered and they wouldn't have a clue. Right. So. Well, tell me more about that. I mean, how do you distill that? Because there's so many, part of the challenge today is just that we have so many options. And this is why young people struggle with dating, for example, mm-hmm. Tinder, social media apps, mm-hmm. all these things. Unfortunately, they make it more complicated. Like having more options doesn't make it easier for you to make a decision. Right. Similarly, when it comes to vocational discernment, if you, what type of profession you want to be, I have no idea. And this is why so many people now change careers, you know, five times before they actually settle on the one thing that they're supposed to do. There's just so many options out yeah. there that it's really hard to understand, like, with certainty that that this is the one thing that, that God is calling me to do. What, what are your thoughts in terms of that distilling process and, and knowing yeah. how to make appropriate sacrifices of things? Yeah, you know, I think one of the great distortions that keeps us from being able to identify our calling, you know, we call it maybe the, the millennial distortion um, or the postmodern distortion, but it's this idea that the most important part of me is, is that unique trait that's tucked away somewhere in my heart in the back closet and I've got to somehow unearth it. And you spend your whole life on this quest looking for it, never find it. And so you're at a loss. I think- Or that somehow I need to find it before I can even begin the quest. Exactly. You know, I got to know myself enough before I can even actually date the person. I got to be perfect enough before I can move forward as if the journey itself isn't the process of unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. There's the the journey. And you know, what I like to tell guys is, look, you know, there's a movement, start with the generic, move to the specific and then get to the special. So, you know, first of all, start with what's generic. There's so much that we know that just as a Christian, we're called to. Right. Um, you know, you, you pick up the Sermon on the Mount. You, you can exhaust a thousand lifetimes trying to grow toward that person Jesus describes. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, before we think of just the unique, think about the generic. Think about just, just being a follower of Jesus. What does that entail? And, you know, once you start thinking about the generic, then move to the, uh, the kind of particular, which you know, then just look at the roles you already inhabit. So you know, a lot of guys are looking for their calling and yet they're already married. And mm-hmm. They're not really viewing their marriage mm-hmm. as a vocation where, you know, they need to love their wives. Uh, Paul tells us as Christ loved the church. I mean, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> That's, I'm never going to, I'm not anywhere near that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or again, they've got uh, children already and they're not thinking about how do I pass on what's most essential to them? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, my convictions about, uh, again, who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So, you know, if you just look at your life, if you look at the profession you're already in, how can I use these skills and gifting uh, for the Lord? Uh, there's a great guy in the, the town I live, Covington. He's just, he and his family have gone to Africa to help uh, teach the kids of missionaries um, so these missionaries can get on with their work. But while he's over there, he's got a business background. And he's found ways to use his business skills to help a local hospital, you know, um, and I think, you know, there's so often, you know, you're already an accountant, you're already a teacher, um, but you view this as a job, not as an opportunity to really serve Jesus in a job. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, look at the, just the particular aspects of your life and own them as a religious calling. Yeah. And, you know, so so you work through. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, and this is one of my critiques with the, with the Eldridge message, if I can say this. Again, as great good as it was, w- one of the things that always came out was like, you know, we talk about a desire for adventure. Mm. I, you know, sometimes it would get misconstrued. Misconstrued. I'm not sure if this is him specifically or just the, the the followers of his message. I hate to say it that way, but you know what I'm talking about. Fans of his book and work, which is almost thinking like it meant that you had to right. go to Colorado and hike the mountain, or you had to then leave your job to go start that new ministry. And 
And while some people are called to an entrepreneurial spirit, right. not everybody is. And if no. you're not called to an entrepreneurial sense of self, that doesn't make you a bad person or less holy than those who are of that, of that kind of, you know, uh, disposition, like start. And this is what I think what you're saying is start in the environment that God has placed you in. Yeah. And what are the circumstances of your life as they are now? And how can you make those better? How can you bring the gospel? How can you bring Jesus into your home life, into the school that you teach at, into the bank that, that, that you serve in? And if you find that you're able to have some fruit in that, some goodness in that, then keep going within that. But if there is a continued dissatisfaction, if there continues to be a longing for something special, I think what you said is, is the word, then pay attention to that also. And then the, the timing of that has yeah. to be discerned and brought to the Lord. Because it doesn't mean just because you get the idea that you just go, you know, right. like that's, that's also a, a sign of immaturity with, for, for lack of a better word, you know, that there has to be a process of maturing, of discerning a call and, and letting its appropriate time uh, come to fruition. Yeah. You know, you sometimes hear people say, you know, you, you grow into a calling rather than go into one. And I think there's that aspect where you can take up the pieces of your life and find ways of infusing them with greater significance. Uh, one of the letters of Paul, he's got this great passage. He's talking to, to Roman slaves and saying, you know, don't do things as men pleasers, but do it unto the Lord. And that idea that a slave, you know, in Roman society could actually view the the menial task of their life with spiritual significance is absolutely mind-blowing. Nothing else would get their life that kind of meaning. And, mm. you know, we have that. We can, uh, you know, we can care for our kids or we can, you know, file our taxes in such a way that we, you know, with integrity, but see, hey, it matters. Um, it all matters. And so to do it purposefully. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, if, if something greater emerges from that, fantastic. If not, though, you're not necessarily missing out because I think the excitement of the Christian life is it's lived out in the mundane, ordinary circumstances. Mm. It's not something you go out and necessarily find on the frontier. Mm. So. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What would you say to the exhausted man, the, the guy in his, you know, 50s, 60s, who's been at the grind, you know, crushing it, doing it every day, and uh, has just worn himself out, you know, because of his, his lifestyle choices? Yeah, I, I would say, <laughs> let these words just, you know, roll around your, your, uh, your mind until finally the penny drops. One thing <laughs> is needful, Jesus says. Mm. And you know, he's right. And so all of these things that we think are necessary, and you know, you just if you detach from your life, so much of the exhaustion, you know, you're having to often work more to pay off bills for things you don't necessarily need, may not even bring you happiness, but everybody else has them. You know, there's so much, we're such social creatures and we just so easily conform to our environment. And part of the difficulty is to get the distance and the perspective to say no again, to simplify and to do what's really important. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, you have certain, some of the life coaches, this sort of thing where, you know, people who write their eulogy, but whatever it takes to give you some perspective to, to realize what really counts is yeah. important. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and part of that then is also uh, managing distraction and prayer and, and, mm. and making that a priority. One of the footnotes that made me chuckle in the book here was you said, uh, I can't remember who it was, but something about like uh, even in the 19th century, how the newspaper was starting to take away from That's people's right. morning devotional time, you know, like that. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, the newspaper, that was it, man. You know, yeah. started vying for our attention, you know, it uh, just thinking about how 
multiplied that is, you know, in our day and age now. And, and I've said this in the show. So, you know, for me, like I have to start my morning, 30 minutes of silence, 30 minutes of scripture. Yeah. Like if I don't, if, I mean, before I get on the phone, the phone is a, is a, is a trap for me. You know, like as soon as I get on the phone, even if it's a check a text message, immediately becomes a text message, email on the two different apps, right. you know, s- social media on the three different apps and then ESPN and Apple News. I mean, like, that's like the rotation that I go through almost like eight out of 10 times, just even grabbing yeah. the thing. You know what I mean? If I'm being yeah. honest. So I like, I know I have to know my limitation and be like, okay, like, Lord, I have to start my morning with you in prayer um, before I do anything else. Um, because there just is so much that's vying for our attention and, and very deliberately. I mean, again, it's, it's not marketing. Marketing is a very sophisticated, um, you know, endeavor. And, and I'm not saying that in, in a manipulative way, like companies pay a lot of money for psychologists to evaluate the attractiveness, you know, of, of, of their, um, of their advertisements. And even when it comes to a news cycle now, we're talking about the coronavirus and, and right now, you know, like fear is, is, is pretty clickbaity. You know, that's a, that's a mm-hmm. good way to get people's attention is to stir their amygdalas, you know, right. and make them freak out. Now, again, I think there should be some precautions, you know, as we're kind of just at the beginning of this thing, but nevertheless, like you can't, you can't distinguish or, or say that, you know, CNN or Fox news only exists in a purely altruistic reason. You know what, you know <laughs> what I mean? Right. Like, like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they're not there just to inform the public, you know, like they're there because they have to make money also. And so yeah. they have to get clicks up. Yeah. So just managing distractions, uh, managing kind of uh, where our eyes go, um, and, and, and again, not even just in a lustful way, but just in a general sense. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I think, you know, we are taught in our culture uh, to value our time. One of the, the messages I try to tell men again and again and again is it's not time, it's your attention. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world's caught up to this. And I mentioned this in the book, but, you know, one thing that's really interesting is, you know, up until the 20th century, there was only one institution in the history of the world that valued ordinary people's attention. And it was it was the church because the church realized, you know, we practice the presence of God. We pray with our attention. And, you know, it's only been recently that people have cared for it. It's such a, a prized commodity, but we've got to realize that, you know, they're, they're, we are either weakened or strengthened by what we attend to and what we allow our attention to rest upon. And a lot of guys are just so passive about it. You know, it's just it's just filling the empty space rather than recognizing uh, if you look at men who are really spiritually strong. Uh, you know, there's that great psalm that talks about uh, the man who meditates day and night on God's mm-hmm. word. And the result is he's like a tree. Mm-hmm. And in that psalm, there's two options. Either you're like chaff. And if you think like that can be blown about by the slightest wind or you're a tree, you know, which in the midst of a hurricane keeps its roots. And the difference between the two is where you set your mind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in, you know, in today's environment in particular, I think this is a new aspect of, uh, call it, you know, just our struggle or spiritual warfare, whatever you want to identify, like we've got to realize our attention is so important and to be proactive, to not just squander it as if it has no value. I think the reason is because we have money now, you know, yeah. the common person didn't have as much money as the common person, the common person 200 years ago doesn't, didn't have as much money as a common person does in today's day and age. And so you're right in terms of like the the attention wasn't really given or the desire for the common person's attention didn't really matter because what are they going to buy from me anyways? Nothing, you know? Right. So there's not worth my time. The church cared, obviously, because the church always cared about, 
the individual souls and the salvation mm-hmm. of people and that everybody had a value and has worth. But now that everybody has monetary worth and that everybody can seemingly go out and buy a smartphone, you know, these things aren't cheap. And then you, you, you replace them every couple of years, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. It, it, there's, there's constant vying uh, in lobbying for our attention. And I think the reason I bring that up is because we have to recognize not only our attention is a prized commodity, but the reason that they want our attention is because our financial resources are a prized commodity as well, you know? It, and so we have to be cautious in terms of where, where we're putting our resources, uh, you know, what, whatever those resources might be. Well, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Joe Barnard. To just take a moment, honestly, to say a little prayer for the men who have really blessed us in our lives. We've all had fathers or teachers or priests or mentors who have guided us and shaped us in our understanding of masculinity. So we just want to take a moment to say a quick prayer for them. And while also offering a prayer and intention for the men in our lives who need conversion and need a deepening in their faith, husbands or adult, if we are adults with, with children, Uh, praying for our sons and hoping that they may come to find the Lord. So Lord, we offer a quick prayer and ask for your blessings to be with these men who are important in our lives. And we ask you please to bless them in their journey of faith and gratitude, Lord, for the experiences that we've been able to have together. So please come, Lord Jesus, lead us all closer to you and to the heart of the Father. So next question here is we kind of keep moving along. Uh, one of your tag, the tagline that you have on the website, which I love is, is helping Christian men grow up. You know, yeah. it's, it's so smart. So bam, right there, it's right in your face. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. So like, as you, as you think about that, like, I know we kind of already been talking about it, but, but nail it for me. Like, how do you define then the, the healthy, mature man? Yeah. Uh, well, let me just say, first of all, um, I think maturity is the result of a, a, a long road. Yeah. So nothing Amen. in my ministry am I describing something that is uh, so easy to gain, that there's a shortcut to find. Uh, I think spiritual maturity, it is, you know, we are called to, to grow up into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, he is the, the mature human being. He is. Um, and so, you know, there are, we could talk about character traits, you know, kind of inward aspects. We could talk about uh, relationships, how we treat other people. It's one of these multifaceted uh, concepts. And, and that's why I think, um, you know, it is, it is, I want to see men who their life aspiration is, I want to be a mature man. I want to figure this out. This is the great quest, partly answering that question. Um, what does it mean for you to be a mature man of God? Um, what does it mean for me? You know, our callings might be distinct in some ways, but it'll certainly involve, you know, certain, uh, character traits. It'll involve certain disciplines being present in our life, certain kinds of relationships, all of this. I mean, we're talking about what the purpose of being a human being is. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a big question. It's a big mm-hmm. topic. Yeah, it absolutely is. The story that, that I think really illustrates as well is, is the story of Peter Pan, you know, where you have the boy who never grows up. Mm-hmm. And Peter Pan just wants to have fun and play around and, you know, hang out with the lost boys and, and uh, you know, flirt with the girl. But, but he has no commitment, no responsibility to anything. And so who's the bad guy in the story? You know, the grownups, right? The grownups are the villain. And the grownup, Captain Hook, is, is haunted by time because there's a recognition that as an adult, 
we're limited. Again, that's why the clock, you know, ticks is because we, we recognize that, that at some point we will have to say, as Jesus said, we've done what God has wanted me to do with the time that he's allowed me to do it. Peter Pan chooses to ignore that. And, and I think that that Peter Pan message is so rampant. Um, in, when now we, we, we don't even define adulthood to, to your 30. What? Are you crazy? Then, I mean, you know, it's even, 40 exactly. Almost, 40 now. Yeah. 40 is like, a new 30. You're like, yeah. are you kidding? You know, like at some point you, you got to grow up, you know, yeah. at some point you have to recognize that like, you just can't play around forever. And, and you have to make a decision about what you want to do with your life. Because I think that decision, again, in my experience in counseling, it has been, it terrifies people because we're so comforted by having options that when you say yes to one thing and you commit to this one career, when you commit to this one person, you by default are saying no to everything else. And in a world that prizes security on, on having a diversity of options, you go to the, the you know, Moe's and you get the freestyle Coke machine that you can pick 15 different variations of like yeah. one single Coke. I'm like, I don't, I just want the Coke man <laughs> with the ice. How do I, how do I, I don't need the yeah. orange vanilla, you know, all this other stuff. But that, that, that's kind of what's been indoctrinated into us now is the sense that like, we don't find security in our commitments. We find security in our options. Yeah. Um, and I have found that to be a threat towards, towards maturity. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the maturity thing, it's not just, it's not just that this is, uh, you know, important for kind of the fulfillment of individual guys. Part of the issue is what keeps us immature also becomes a liability to us because, you know, men are in, you know, in the book, I, I talk about this, you know, we're presented as if the world is a playground yeah, and it's not a playground. And so if your mindset is that it's a playground, you ought to be having fun and it should be this great experience. Then when anything happens that creates suffering or that's not in your life plan or whatever else, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, you don't know what to, ha- you don't know how to handle it and, um, you're not expecting it and you're unprepared for it. And, uh, you know, you're surprised and you see that again and again with men. Whereas one of the things that I think, you know, the, the Bible is trying to do is just reveal this way in which, you know, this, this world is, a, it's, it's a ground of suffering, but not without purpose mm. that we're being molded into something. Mm. And if you can recognize that it's a difficult environment, then you're not surprised and you can go with the grain of what God's doing rather than constantly resisting it. Yeah. So, um, so everything is really important. Yeah. But even following the Lord, since I was joking earlier about like, you, you know, your yoga is even burning his light. Like sometimes like following God, again, we have to remember that Jesus said, this is the narrow way. I mean, like yeah. it's, it's, it's hard. And so with respect to some of the prosperity gospel kind of right. ideas out there, but like, listen, man, it's not just, you give your life to Jesus and you're going to get the BMW or you're going to get the right. fancy things. Like that's not the gospel. The gospel is a honest recognition, honest assessment that life's hard and, and that's unavoidable. Right. The, when Jesus says that, you know, build your house on, on the rock rather than the sand, you know, he says that the storms come and they come to whoever they come to both, whether you built the house on the rock or you built it on the sand, the storms are, are coming no matter what. It, and it's just what it is. It's, we live in a world that that's succumbed to sin. We live in a world that nature is violent. We, we, this is the reality of the circumstances we find ourselves in. But if we are secure in the rock of the Lord, then we can, we can survive those hardships and I think that message, in my honest opinion, sometimes gets lost because we don't, we want to preach the happy, happy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus loves, you know, happy, happy, everything. And we forget that like, sometimes that doesn't hold water, you know, when, right. when, when hardships really come. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think even right now with all the fear 
with a virus, it's one of these opportunities where, you know, for Christian men, you you've, you realize that we're prepared for this. You know, we, we have a God who watches over us. And, and while we never know what's going to happen, like there, we don't have to be afraid in the way in which the, the rest of the world. And so there's an opportunity to show a kind of courage, honestly, a hope is the biblical word, a mm. hope and a faith in the midst of it. And that's what you want to see, men who are able to stand apart. And the difference isn't because, you know, they've got some sort of just inner uh, reservoir of strength, but it's it's the life God is giving them and enabling them to demonstrate to the world. So, And encouraging men to stand in the gap is, it's difficult. It is. Um, because men have been beat up. Men have been told not to. Men have been told to sit down. Men have been told not to be initiatives, not to take initiative anymore. Um, even when I, you know, tell people that I have four boys, they're like, oh man, that's a rambunctious crowd. You know, it is. Yeah. We don't know nice things. If I had a list of all the things that have been broken in the house, you know, it would yeah. to be longer than Santa's, you know, Christmas time. Yeah. I mean, it just is what it is. But, but that aggressiveness that boys tend to have is not, um, a character default. Right. Um, it's rather an opportunity to refine that strength and that um, that intensity that they have, so that they can use it uh, ultimately for God's purposes. And, and you know, that's a lot of the ministry that I'm, I'm building with Cross Train Ministries, trying to show guys that that energy can actually be invested in this spiritual life. That everything you're looking for, are you looking for something to fight against? Are you looking for a battle? Well. The Bible talks about, you know, just just within our own heart, you know, within this world um, that, you know, it's such it's such an adventure and it's such a challenge to follow Jesus. And so, you know, for guys who want something to aspire to, there's nothing bigger you could ever aspire to than simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. It It is the ultimate. Mm-hmm. But guys don't view it that way, but they need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it could really energize their life if they could see. But that's what we need models and mentors. Because sometimes we can we can look at them and be like, that just doesn't make sense. That's like, you know, be a follower. I hate to say it this way, but, you know, like be a follower of Bill Gates or some other celebrity that's way out there lofty. You know, how am I supposed to make money like that? I can't even, you know, pay my, my grocery bills. Right. But sometimes, and again, the, the message is supposed to be lofty, but that's what we need mentors and individuals in our lives who are maybe a, a few steps ahead that we can look to and be like, well, that person's following the Lord. And I kind of like the way that they're living their life. And that's, that's a model that I can follow and I can, I can kind of walk in, in those footsteps as, as I'm led towards the Lord. And that's not to make that person a guru or not to exalt them beyond what they need to be exalted, like we were talking about earlier with the celebrities, but nevertheless, to, to, to surround ourselves with, with good men. Um, and that's something I think Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, he talks about like, you know, if, if, if you want to be broke, hang around broke people, you know, right. if you want to be rich, hang around people who are rich. If, if you want to be obese, hang around people who are eating uh, you know, bad food. If you want to be some, you want to be somebody who's fit, yeah. hang around people who are fit. Like it's just, yeah. sometimes it's that simple that you just need to be around people that are good witnesses of the gospel message. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a message that guys really need to hear. I mean, if you want to grow up, will you find some friends that want to grow up with you or that yeah. are already, you know, doing it? And yeah. and yeah, there's no more power. There's no easier form of motivation than being in a circle of people that are passionate about anything whether it's CrossFit or eating vegan food, whatever. I mean, it's, it's contagious. Now you don't have to eat vegan to be a Christian, right? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) There goes my ministry. (laughs) 
My first year in college is when I had my conversion. It was it was a lost eighteen year old going down the the path that that you know freshmen go to, and God saved me. And uh, I'll share the story at some other time. I'm not ready to share it on air, <laughs> but my guardian angel is Steve Urkel. I'm just going to say that, right? <laughs> so, but you know, my freshman year, I was I was living with 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 guys who were you know just into the party scene, and they were smoking weed like three four times a day. And I never, I got by God's grace, you know, even in my, in my wildest days, by God's grace, I, ne- I never crossed the line with drugs. I had one of my roommates who was selling LSD on campus and he was like, Mario, I'll be, I'll pay for your high. You know, just, I just want right. to, you know, just want to see the golden boy kind of fall off the horse a little bit. I was like, no dude, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So I got to the end of the year and I was like, I like, if I'm going to stay on this walk with the Lord, I can't keep moving with these guys. I mean, it's just yeah. that simple, you know? And so, you know, God opened up an opportunity for me to move in some, some good holy men. And those guys who were, they were juniors and seniors and grad students, they were, they were just a couple years older than me, um, but they were so good to me. They were just, just enough ahead on the journey mm. that it wasn't overwhelming for me to see them live their life um, and not feel like I was that far behind. Um, but it was the encouragement that I needed, you know, in, the, in those first few years where, where, where it was still kind of a, you know, fragile yeah. enterprise, let's be honest, you know, those, yeah. those first yeah. couple of years, even post-conversion, it's like, yeah. yeah. Are we really sure? You know, I have to give up as much as I have to give up. Like, like, what, what, what do I really need to do here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's a great encouragement to guys to, uh, you know, e- even to to think about what real friendship is. And that's that's a thing that's really important to me because I think friendship's one of these categories that we all have friends, so we think we know what it ought to be. When the truth is, um, we don't. And there's different types of friendship. And if you're again, if you're looking to be challenged spiritually. Think about the kind of friendships that'll promote that kind of growth. Well, how do you define that? How do you define spiritual friendship? And how do you see it as something different than even just small groups and Bible studies? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, for spiritual friendship um, is really when the friendship has a clear, call it destination, a clear goal in mind, uh, which is growth in Christ. Um, so it's not just hanging out. It's not just... Um, you know, you happen to work together, so you know each other's names, but there's an intentionality about it where you want to open up your life. You want, you're willing for someone else to open up their life. And it's as if you're traveling together. And there's, I think the best analogy is if you just think about athletes, the way athletes, they train together because they know that together they're able to achieve a degree of excellence that they couldn't on their own. Mm. And, you know, that's the way we are as, as people. And so, you know, to find a group of group of guys that, uh, whether you're, you're doing something together, it might be a mission project. It might be reading a book together, something that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Um, or maybe you're asking each other questions. You know, it's amazing. If if you want to, you know, really dig into someone's heart, really, honestly, it's just asking the right questions. I mean, for a guy to ask another guy, tell me, what are you struggling with right now? Most, most guys will go years and never have anybody ask that question. Mm -hmm. And that can open up a whole, uh, a whole story that can lead to transformation. So I think, you know, these intentional friendships where, you know, whether it's two or more guys are saying, Hey, look, I want to grow up. I want to become a man of God. Uh, Hey, you want to do that too? Well, let's just, let's think about some, some good things we could do together. And, you know, there's some suggestions in my book, but um, I think it can just start with that desire and that intentionality and build from there. Yeah. That takes time though. You don't just go up to a guy at a party and be like, Hey man, what's Jesus saying to you right now? You know, like, that's right. Well, hold on, buddy. Like, I don't know you, you know, like calm yeah. down. Like, like those type of that level of, of depth and intimacy, I, I, I really only have with my wife and, and a couple of the friends. And it's taken yeah. years to get to the point where, where you really kind of foster 
uh, that level of intimacy. But but I do have it for sure. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's just not on most people's radar. Right. So they don't even want to be looking for it, and they yeah. don't see it as an, as a vital aspect of their spiritual life. Yes. Um. So they end up being the, the lone ranger. And then, you know, one of these big things happens in their life, whether it's a, a particular temptation or actually, you know, something they fall into um, or just, you know, an illness, whatever it is. But they're locked in all by themselves. And particularly if you're a man, you know, you know, there's all, you know, from depression to suicide, things that you begin to, to see emerging. And, you know, from from hearts that were locked and nobody could ever find out what was really going on. And so I think, you know, if guys can at least know that there's, there is a friendship and to, to be looking and to be investing in people. And as they're, you know, begin to, you know, uh, be able to share more, you know, grow toward it. You're right. It's not instantaneous, but, uh, guys go hunt for it. Yeah. Look for it. Yeah. I would encourage guys also that like, if, if you find yourself in that space where you don't really have depth of intimacy with, with certain guys, like really pray that the yeah. Lord will, will guide you in terms of who, who should I invite into this space? If I, and it's risky, you know, because you're opening up, you have to be vulnerable with somebody or praying for the right circumstances to, to emerge for you to take that step. Again, it's not something you're going to put on Facebook, or at least you shouldn't. There's got to be appropriate boundaries. Mm. Um, you're not going to call out like, hey, anybody want to be my spiritual BFF? You know, right. like you probably don't want the responses. <laughs> Those are probably the people you don't want to talk to anyways. You know, but like God, I do believe really puts us in certain circumstances for a reason in, in builds community around yeah. the, the places where we find ourselves. And, and, and that's a great place to start. So encouraging guys to, to, to do that. Um, I just did an episode with, with, a um, a coach, a running coach, um, Patrick Sullivan, I think it's episode 45 or 46. I can't remember. So it's, it's a recent one, uh, where we talked about running and faith and kind of the connection between two, because I just ran my marathon and all these things. I'm still reeling from the experience, but he said something similar to what you said. He said that in, in America, um, marathoners, we, we, our low point was, I think something like 1996, he said, or something like that was like when we didn't even qualify in the top 10, a single American, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the Olympics. And it began a real shift in the 2000 training for the 2000, you know, Olympics, where it was like, maybe this whole individual, I just need to be by myself, not trust anybody running on my own, like is not the way to go forward. So what emerged in the last 20 years has been elite running teams, men who compete right? Five guys to a team and, and they're training and they're running together and they're encouraging and supporting one another, even though at the same time, you know, you're competing with one another. So like the Olympic trials just happened a couple of weeks ago and only three of the 200 guys who tried out make it. But you know, if you don't have your buddies in arms, you don't even get to that point, you right. know? And so they're, they're this sense that men, sometimes I think we feel threatened by people who are better than us, or we feel the sense of competition around us that that we need to we need to suspend that a little bit. We right. really have to recognize that if if we want to be better, we want to surround ourselves with men who are who are in some cases better than us. Yeah. To encourage us and to not be intimidated by by that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, to go to your question about how's it different from kind of large and, and, and small groups. I mean, you know, a lot of churches, you know, you've got you've you've always got the big meeting. You sometimes have the smaller men's meeting. What tends to be lacking is uh, an emphasis on what we're talking about. Okay, well, how do you, you know, even even teaching men, talking about how do you develop these relationships? What do they look like? What are some things that you could do as men that would lead you to the place where you're getting to know each other and able to enjoy this? And so what so, would you say practically? What 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 are those environments and circumstances that allow men to, to get to know each other in a more deep way? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think um, 
you know, you, you can get a group of four or five guys and, you know, always serving together is amazing. I mean, yeah. if four guys go, five guys go help with a Habitat house, I mean, you, know, you begin to talk, you yep. begin to find out about each other's families. Um, you know, you can build on that. Well, let's, you know, let's, let's meet up. And uh, again, maybe it's a book that guys want to read and you don't really read, but you know, you know, you should read because, you know, it can be helpful. And so, you know, you talk about it and create a conversation around a topic that's important to men. Um, you know, the fact is, you know, we struggle with relationships as guys. We struggle to open yeah, up. So uh, there has to not just be the activity, but the willingness to, again, ask questions when you're asked to, to share. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey. Um, but, you know, those would be the sorts of things. That's fantastic. Fantastic. What other solutions do you propose in terms of helping men to become more mature in, in, in the Lord? Yeah, you know, um, I think there's a lot to be said just for the, for the basics. Uh, let's just be honest and say a lot of guys don't go to church yeah, very often. Let's just start there. That's <laughs> yeah. a good place to start. And, uh, <laughs> Get your butt back into Sunday yeah, worship. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the fundamentals are fundamental. Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, if, if you're – LeBron James doesn't stop dribbling the basketball. He doesn't well, just dribble, but you know. the, it is the NBA. <laughs> yeah. It is the NBA. Yeah, that's right. just, let me just say that. All right. Like, you know, two <laughs> steps, is, uh, you know, like give or take five, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but you know, sometimes we're missing the most obvious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, go to church. I mean, if, if there's a men's group attached to your church, go, right. uh, you know, that's already set up for you. Um, I think beyond that, you know, some of these older column spiritual disciplines are really vital to get on a retreat where you actually have a weekend with some solitude. Um, it's a huge thing to be able to begin to get some perspective on life. Um, I think honestly, reading, you don't have to read all the time, but it's, reading is not a practice a lot of guys have in their life. But if you don't think, someone else is going to think for you. And so you're going to end up drifting with the current. And, you know, a lot of guys, again, you know, we just become a product of the, the clickbait around us. Yes, we do. And so I think you've got to work hard for perspective on the modern world. And so how do you do that? Um, I think every guy should have a book he's reading, no matter how slow, but always have a book, whether it's your bedside table, on your desk. Uh, men who mature are men who read. Not a certain amount, they do read. Um, it's true. So I think, you know, these things, again, finding spiritual friendships, um, it's these are the kind of basic steps that over time begin to condition maturity. Yeah, absolutely. Awareness, uh, like the, we said, you know, the recognition that if we're reading, we're being more intentional about what information we're putting into us. And so often we're, we're, we lack intentionality and we come home, we turn on Fox News or CNN and we just allow the talking heads to, to infiltrate us. And, and again, it's not to be critical of the media, I'm sorry, but you if, if, if you're only listening to one perspective, then you're just going to develop that opinion. I mean, it's just what it is. And so recognizing sometimes you need to turn off the TV um, and that's okay. Pray, uh, get a good book. You can get a great book on, on Audible. Sure. You can get a good audio book if you're uh, driving all the time. Um, you know, those, those type of things are, are great places to start, to start forming your conscience. And so that you're a little bit more aware of things. Now, I think that sometimes guys just feel so darn insecure mm. when it comes to talking about their feelings or, cause I know that's the case. I do marriage retreats all the time and, you know, guys will be like, 
Mario, you're making us look bad. You know, like, <laughs> like right. you know, I'm like, well, I'm a therapist. This is what I do. <laughs> you know, like I know how to share. Like it's, it's what I do. I, if, if you can build a bridge, then teach me how to build a bridge. Cause I'm not an engineer, you know, yeah. this is, but this is just what I happen to be able to, 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 to do well. Um, so encouraging guys also just to, to be a little bit more transparent, um, a little bit more open than they feel comfortable being with, again, the, the right people around them. And honestly, yeah, that starts with your, 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 your good friends. But if you're married, that includes your oh, wife, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. I mean, that includes your wife. Definitely. I think, you know, begin there. I mean, get to where you can talk about issues of faith, issues, you know, that are important to, again, how you're feeling, whether you're expressing them or not. I mean, I think that is, if God's given you a spouse, I mean, let that friendship develop and uh, let that become a place, God willing, where there's trust and an opportunity to really share not just the good, but the difficult struggles of life. There was never a time in, in the history of the church that being a Christian wasn't difficult. That's right. You know, and I think, I think we need to be reminded of that from time to time. Well, and I think we need to take a step further and just say, we, we look back and think we live in such comfortable, such a comfortable environment and we do materially. Mm. Let's be honest. I mean, spiritually, this We're is bankrupt. about as toxic of an environment as you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we've just got to be alert to that, that. Uh, it's going to be, like you said earlier, that that narrow road. It's going to be a, a a difficult road to navigate the kind of prosperity, the wealth, the distraction, the technology, all of the fast changes, all the expectations. So if we're just thinking that we just sit back and uh, kind of take a passive attitude toward it all, uh, what's going to happen is, again, we'll be stunned as mm-hmm. men, and we're just not going to reach our potential mm-hmm. that we have. And so um, that's where I think, you know, we just got to have the mindset, hey, this 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 is the quest. This is the exciting journey. How do I grow up into the man God has made me to be? And given all the provision I need to grow into that man, uh, let me throw my heart, let me throw my mind, uh, let me you know, let me put my resources toward that mm-hmm. and trust that if I become that man, wow, I mean, think of what it's going to do for my wife, what it's going to do for my kids, what it's going to do for my church, my community. Um, we need guys that have that desire and yeah. so the, you know, that they can be agents of real transformation around them. Yeah. And the word you used earlier, I love this, is men of hope. I mean, that's what we need to be. Yeah. And in a recognition that hope is is um, not passive. That hope isn't uh, fantasy. That that hope is anchored in reality. Yeah. And, and the, the reality is that the journey doesn't end when we die, that we do believe in the resurrection, that we are people of the resurrection. And, and we we cling to that in hope. And that that means something. That means that that... I think you said in the book, right, that with this, rather than thinking of it as like an adventure quest, think of life as like a pilgrimage. I mean, yeah. when you're in a pilgrimage, you kind of know where you're going. You know, you know, you know where you're trying to get to. Like people who do the Camino or something of that nature, you do, they're all trying to get to Santiago de Compostela. But the journey is the process that that it unf- that, that where the unfolding happens. Um, and and so like when we choose these things and we make the this, this, this simple decisions to say yes to, to this and, and no to that. And, and again, no one's perfect. And so God's mercy is always there. But as we're kind of navigating these things, uh, we have the opportunity to really be uh, beacons of hope to, to yeah. others and to remind and encourage others that, you know, this is real. Yeah. Like the message is real. The gospel is real. That's like right. it, it, it really is the way. It really is the means to happiness. It really is the the means to life and, and to love and to fulfillment and um and committing ourselves to that ideal and not being shy to tell others that that we're men who are 
who are committing uh, to that ideal as well is uh, is really you know encouraging. Yeah, yeah. That that eternal perspective, being able to allow this life to be infused with what we know what has been revealed about what's to come. I mean, that's the only thing that can make sense of how we behave, how we help. I mean, look at Paul who was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, and yet he said these present and light afflictions. You're mm-hmm. like, there's nothing light about your afflictions, but mm-hmm. there's that greater weight of glory being worked out. And so I think if we can if we can frame our days now before what we, uh, the hope that we have, then uh, yeah, we become men of strength, men of vision, men of patience, mm-hmm. uh, who can endure, it's vital. Amen. All right, so as we're coming to the end here, man, well, uh, Anything to plug? How, how, how can people get a hold of you if they, if they like what they're hearing? Yeah, Cross Training Ministries. If you just go uh, xtrainingministries.com, uh, you can visit the website. Uh, really, the book is uh, an itinerary. It, it's meant to take guys you know, from where they are to a, a, a road, and it gives very practical instruction on how to get from A to B. But the thing I like is you don't have to end with a book. And so if you get to the end of the book and you think, okay, I want more, uh, there's actually a spiritual decathlon available at the website where guys can, over 10 months, do 10 different challenges that just give them a taste of the kind of disciplines that promote maturity. So uh, the hope is to send guys down this pilgrimage and uh, to give them enough to get them down the road. And then from then, they're going to have to uh, begin to show some initiative and creativity, but uh, to give them some good direction for That's a while. Great. And do you also provide one-on-one coaching to men? Yeah, uh, I do one-on-one coaching. I've got some small groups. Uh, so if you're in the area, you can certainly uh, link into one of, one of those groups. Um, and then, you know, further afield, speak at conferences and try to organize some things uh, for guys who are isolated and a little bit rural as well. So, Awesome. Awesome. Joe, man, thanks for, for coming on the show. Final question to ask all my guests. What gives you hope? Jesus, man, his resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> his lordship. The fact that... Uh, uh, you know, he assures me that the father knows the hairs on my head. And so yeah. nothing in this life is, is out of control. It's in his hands. He's wise. He's good. He's loving. And so no matter how, uh, how much of a wreck I am, he's perfect. And so I can rest in him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus knowing the God, knowing the numbers of hairs on my head gets easier as I get older. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joe, God bless you, man, and your ministry to, to, to men. Uh, keep up the good work, and thanks for joining, joining me today on the show. Sure. Well, that does it for my conversation with Joe Barnard. I hope that you have enjoyed it. Again, men, we can't do it on our own. We need fellowship. We need our wives. We need our communities. There is no such thing as a self-made man. We need one another to be able to support and uphold one another. As they say, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. So I pray that everybody's having a great day. Please, now that the show is done, leave a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts. Every one of those genuinely does help. Or find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. And I look forward to hearing and receiving those comments there. God bless everybody. Have a great day.